Uh, well, good afternoon, everyone. It's our uh, last meeting together. It's not my last meeting today, but it's our last meeting together, and I pray that God will, will bless us. Uh, I'm going to be addressing the topic of Daniel chapter 8, 9, and 10. Don't worry, this is not going to be a three-hour Bible study, um, but I want to address uh, some kind of big picture issue, I think, that lies some practical lessons from Daniel chapter 8, 9, and 10. Um, the topic of waiting and not understanding why God has us in these holding patterns. How do we get through it? What's God doing when it seems like nothing's happening? And what's he going to do to strengthen us? So if you're in one of those seasons or have ever been in one of those seasons, uh, certainly one will come if you haven't experienced one. And uh, when that's the case, hopefully these principles will be half the blessing to you they've been to me uh, in my own journey. So I'd like to pray, and then we'll start our uh, presentation for this afternoon. Sweet Jesus, thank you that you have been good to us, that you've been faithful to us in what we've studied so far, and we pray as we have one last study together that your hand of blessing would be with us, and give us practical lessons, we pray, and we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. All right, um, so the book of Daniel contains prophecies that are very important for us to know and understand. Is that true? Absolutely. In fact, Jesus says in Matthew chapter 24, regarding the book of Daniel, let him who reads understand, right? He's talking about that book of Daniel. But it's not just a book of important prophecies. It's also filled with many practical stories that teach us how to live in the light of these prophecies. Maybe you've kind of wondered about the land of Daniel. It's kind of interesting. There's like these amazing prophecies, but then there's like these like stories that you can make felt, you know, little boards out of and talk about Daniel in the lion's den or, you know, the Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and the, and the, and the fiery furnace and all this stuff. And kind of why, why do we have both components here? Well, the basic premise is you have these prophecies in the book of Daniel, but then you have the stories in the book of Daniel that teach you how to live in the midst of those important prophecies. So, for instance, the prophecy of Daniel chapter 3 and the three Hebrew worthies thrown into the fire, right? That's the crisis that's to come, right? This idea that there's going to be a clarion call to worship and those who don't toe the line, those who don't agree, will suffer penalties for this and so forth. So, anyway, there's practical lessons through uh, these stories that are contained in the book of Daniel on top of the prophecies. And so, I'd like to look at some of those important parts of Daniel's life that I believe are very relevant to you and I today. So in Daniel chapter 8, um, Daniel's in Babylon as a captive, and he's seen God work for him while he's still there, which is an encouragement in a discouraging situation, right? You're in captivity. That's not an easy thing, but God is still working for him and helping him. But something's happened here in Daniel 8 that really unsettles him. If you're not familiar with this chapter, this is the chapter of the ram and the he-goat. So you've got Daniel 7, you've got the four beasts. Daniel 2, you've got the metal man. Daniel 8, you've got the ram and the he-goat, basically speaking of Medo-Persia and what will eventually become Greece, um, because Babylon's already ruling at this stage. And so you get to this time, and he sees the, um, the he-goat that has the four horns, and then those are kind of broken off. A single horn emerges as a little horn. What's one horn breaks off, turns into four, and there's a little horn that kind of comes up through that process. And it's wreaking havoc, right? The people of God are being trampled underfoot. The saints are being persecuted. And it's deeply troubling to Daniel because he's an Israelite, right? Like, these are my peeps. Like, these are my people. This isn't easy for him to see this. And it's very, very troubling. And it doesn't make matters better that while he's troubled by this vision, it's so bad that one of the angels in the vision asks another angel, so uh, how long is that going to go on? 
Can you imagine? Like, you're already stressed, and then one of the other angels points out just how bad this is. Like, man, how long is that going to go on? That sounds pretty bad. And then the answer that's given is unto 2,300 days, or evenings and mornings, then the sanctuary shall be cleansed. And then a more detailed interpretation of the visions given, uh, as far as, the, you know, the, the 1260 and some of that stuff. Um, but there's not really much given about the 2,300 days portion. All he's really told is, it's true. <laughs> it doesn't really tell me anything, right? I don't know what it means. What I'm basically told is that it's true. Now, in Daniel's context, the people of God were already under attack, right? Jerusalem has been sacked. They're taken captive. And certainly, Daniel can be tempted to wonder, is this talking about right now or later? He doesn't fully understand what's going on. The angel will later tell him that the primary part of that vision, uh, as far as the persecution of the saints, will be for the time of the end, right? 1798 in that, that general timeline. But the vision concerning the 2300 days, which is a different Hebrew word altogether, is still confusing him. He doesn't understand it, and it's still weighing heavily upon him, even at the close of this chapter. But yeah, it's very challenging to him because imagine being Daniel. You've been told that you're going to be in captivity for 70 years. It's nearing the close of those 70 years, and then you're given a vision that's going to be 2,300 days or 2,300 years until the sanctuary is cleansed. Well, what sanctuary do you think he would be thinking about of the three that we talked about this morning? Do you think he's thinking like William Miller was, the heavenly sanctuary? You don't sound too convinced. You don't really know how to answer this question, it seems. If you're Daniel, in Daniel chapter 8, what temple do you think it is or what sanctuary do you think it is that's going to be cleansed in his mind? Jerusalem. Right. So that means that like, wait a minute, we're not going home after 70 years. We have to wait 2,300 more years. Are you starting to see why Daniel's so distressed? He doesn't understand what's being said here. Like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I thought it was 70 years. And maybe you've been there. Have you ever been in situations where, I mean, you're in med school, for goodness sakes, many of you, where you just budget your emotional bandwidth. I just need to make it through Friday finals week, right? I just need to make it until Sabbath. And when something happens that you weren't planning on, the immediate fear and thought is, I didn't budget for this, right? I had budgeted my emotional energy to make it this long, and then something happens. Your weekend off gets taken away and added a week later, and you're just like, whoa, 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 whoa. I didn't budget for this. I don't know if I can handle that. Well, that's where he is. I thought it was 70 years. Now it seems like God's implying there's 2,300 more years on top of this. Yeah, dude's pretty stressed about this. So we get to verses 15 to 18, um, actually 17, 18 largely. You can turn there if you like. I'm going to highlight some of this just in summary, uh, just for the sake of brevity. That is not my fruit of the Spirit, by the way. Um, and it's not listed in Galatians 5, so you can't give me a hard time about that. Uh, Daniel chapter 8, 17 and 18. So it says this, um, so he came near where I stood, meaning the angel, and he came when I was afraid, and I fell on my face, and he said to me, understand, son of man, that the vision refers to the time of the end. That's the first vision about the oppression of the saints. It's not talking about the 2300 days. Verse 18, now as he was speaking with me, I was in a deep sleep with my face to the ground. So this revelation of seemingly more hard time being tacked on to the nation of Israel's sentence is so overwhelming to Daniel that physically he collapses. It's so intense to him, he literally collapses and he has no strength left. But the angel touched me and stood me upright. And I love this. We'll see this continuing throughout the chapters that we're going to look at today. 
that God is so merciful, right? That even when we get overwhelmed by the bad news we receive in life, when God's doing things that we don't understand and we're tired of suffering and waiting and so forth, that in those moments, God's willing to send help from heaven to touch us and strengthen us. Amen? Oh, I love that. So then we get to Daniel chapter 9. So Daniel chapter 9, um, we've got the context from Daniel 8 of what he's going through in Daniel 9. Daniel 9 takes place 15 years after Daniel 8. No resolution, no answers. It's so bad the dude collapses in Daniel 8, and he's still wrestling with uncertainty for another 15 years. And he doesn't really get all the answers then even. But at least he's given more answers. So 15 years later, he's still wrestling. He's not understanding, even after God sent an angel to help him. It's a long time to wrestle with the tension of not having certainty in something that's clearly important. And we talked about why he misunderstood as far as Jerusalem is what he's thinking um, and that kind of whole tension, right? Now, that's why he faints, you know, like 2,300 years on top of 70. That's just not cool. I didn't budget for that. I'm just going to cash out and sleep now. Anyone ever been there? You just kind of sleep off the stress that comes in. And am I the only person that's ever done that? Like, life is just too overwhelming. It's too much. And the only way you really know how to deal with this is to just not exist in an unconscious sleeping state. That's what Daniel does. He sleeps it off, you know, initially, and an angel comes and helps him. Now, the thing is, Daniel's been in Babylon the entire length of this captivity. He's been a soldier this whole time. He's made it this far, and he's continued in these spiritual disciplines uh, throughout this entire season. And it's been difficult and challenging for him, but every day, it's only going to be 70 years, I just need to make it, now he's getting to the close of that timeline. And this guy's praying every single day that he's in captivity, pleading with God to keep his promises. He was super disciplined, right? He, and it wasn't because Daniel was this like rock star that just had, you know, an amazing form of spiritual prowess that none of us can ever attain to. He realized his need on a daily basis. And there's nothing that really opens our eyes to our need like conflict and controversy, right? Being a prisoner of war will open your eyes to the fact that life isn't really about you right? It, it changes your perspective and your priorities. This is where he is. And so it keeps getting to him, right? He's, he's, he's been in Babylon, and the promise of the release is one of those things that kept him going, and this now seems to be outside of his grasp, and it's crippling to him. He maintains his daily duties, but this really weighs on him. You ever been there? Right? Like, you keep showing up to work, you keep going to school, but part of you isn't fully present because of what you're dealing with inside. You ever been there? That's where Daniel is right now. He's going through that circumstance when the promises of God seem to be continually just beyond your grasp. But the very fact that he didn't give up on seeking understanding and is studying is important. Go to Daniel 9, beginning of verse 1. In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, of the lineage of the Medes, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by the books the number of the years specified by the word of the Lord through who? Jeremiah the prophet, that he would accomplish how long? Seventy years in the destruction of Jerusalem. So is Daniel just sitting around frustrated, or is he taking some form of action on his own while he's waiting? I'm going to study again. I'm going to go and make sure that I understood what God said in the first place. I'm going to restudy the prophecies that God gave surrounding this circumstance. And there's a lesson for us here. When we're overwhelmed and we don't understand what God is doing, it seems like God's making us wait longer than we thought we should wait, you're not going to find answers by avoiding God. You're going to find answers by re-examining what God has already said in His Word. 
right? If you've got prayer journals, God spoke to me on this day about this thing, go back through your prayer journal and remind yourself of what God has promised you because he's not a man that he should lie nor a son of man that he should repent, right? So Daniel did this. He's researching the, proph the prophecies and the scriptures. He's digging into the scriptures. Then in verse 3, Then I set my face towards the Lord God to make my request by prayer and supplications with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. And I prayed to the Lord my God, and I made confession and said, O Lord, great and awesome God, who keeps His covenant and mercy with those who love Him and with those who keep His commandments. We have sinned. We have committed iniquity. We have done wickedly and rebelled, even by departing from your precepts and your judgments. Okay? So, He's diligently searching the prophecies that are available to him. He's wrestling with the text. As he's wrestling to understand what God is doing, he's also wrestling with the text, which is a lesson for you and I today. He's clearly wondering if they're reaping the curse of Deuteronomy 28, right? There were the curses and the blessings of Deuteronomy 28, curses for disobedience, blessings for obedience. And he's wondering, did we just have more hard time tacked onto our sentence, right? And it's going to be a longer exile than, than was foretold. So he pleads with God to keep his promise of 70 years and no longer, that while God would be just in punishing them for their unfaithfulness, that he would still prove to be the God of mercy that he's claimed to be, and that Micah says that he delights to be, as we talked about this morning and last night. And he's also assuming the posture of the guilty party. He's praying a corporate prayer of repentance and humility, which I think is very fascinating, right? He says that we have sinned, we have transgressed, we've been unfaithful. But the thing is, from, the, from what we have access to in the book of Daniel, this guy literally has been faithful in every duty. That's a direct quote from the prophets and kings, by the way. He's been faithful in every duty. So imagine, have you been one of those people where you're towing the line in school, you're doing all the work that's asked of you, your cohort is not, you're the person that shows up to work every day on time, your cohort does not, and eventually you kind of get frustrated that you're doing the right things but no one else is right? Certainly Daniel could have wrestled with these thoughts, but instead of saying, these guys are losers, these guys have been unfaithful, these guys haven't done what's asked, Daniel literally humbles himself and prays as if he's the guilty party. Even though nothing we see in the text alludes to the fact that Daniel's the reason for any of this. I think it's very interesting. And again, he's studying the prophecies of Jeremiah to clarify how long their exile would be until the judgment of Babylon took place. And we generally go to Jeremiah chapter 25 to see what's going on with that. Now, the background for that text in Jeremiah 25 is that God, in speaking through Jeremiah, begins by sharing that Jeremiah and the other prophets were sent to them. He woke up early sending these prophets, and they weren't being listened to. Their message isn't being heeded. And he's calling them to repent for this. And he's reminding them, don't go after other gods. Don't provoke them any longer. But you don't listen to me. You're not listening to me. And then picking up in Jeremiah chapter 25, beginning of verse 12. Then it will come to pass when 70 years are completed that I will punish the king of Babylon and that nation, the land of the Chaldeans. For their iniquity, says the Lord, and I will make it a perpetual desolation. So I will bring on that land all my words which I've pronounced against it, all that is written in this book, which Jeremiah has prophesied concerning all the nations. So Daniel has gone through this process. He's, he's going back to all the places that he had read before that said why they are, where they are, and what's going on. This is one of them, okay? So because you're not listening, I'm calling Babylon to come and take you captive. And the whole land's going to be desolate, and there will be no more celebrations. And you're going to serve Nebuchadnezzar, my servant, for 70 years, is what they're told in the book of Jeremiah. 
He even refers to the disciplinarian that's being used on his behalf, Nebuchadnezzar, as my servant. He'll take you into captivity for 70 years. But this isn't the only place that Daniel would have gone to study in the writings of Jeremiah to see what God said regarding their captivity and their eventual release. The other place he would go to is Jeremiah chapter 29. Turn there. Jeremiah chapter 29. is super interesting. Jeremiah chapter 29 and in verse 10 is where we're going to go. So in Jeremiah 25, the captivity is yet to take place. They're not in captivity yet, but in Jeremiah 29, it's a current reality. They're in captivity and God reminds them of their fate and how they got there, but he doesn't stop there. Okay, in the verses preceding this, he tells them to put down roots. You're going to be there a while. So plant gardens, have kids, and pray for the peace of the place where you were held captive. And then look at what he says in verse 10. For the Lord, thus says the Lord, after 70 years are completed at Babylon, I will visit you and I'll perform what type of word towards you? My good word towards you and I'll cause you to return to this place. So even though Daniel doesn't understand what this whole vision in chapter 8 was about, it seems confusing, even somewhat contradictory what he's heard before, he's studying, and as he's diligently searching, he's reminded of the promises that God has made 70 years and no longer. Right? He's reminded of this promise. But look at the very next thing that God says, beginning in verse 11. For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. Many of us maybe have this on a Bible, on a cross stitch, some inspirational poster in our house, right? We've claimed this promise in so many ways, but we've never thought about the context. The context of this verse is that the nation of Israel has been unfaithful. They're in captivity because of their unfaithfulness. And even in the midst of them being unfaithful, God's response is, I still have plans to bless you. Maybe you're in captivity right now. Maybe you're reaping a season of difficulty that you yourself have sown. And God's response is, my story for you is not over. You think, oh, there's no chance for me, there's no hope, things aren't going to get any better, and I get what I get, and it's what I deserve. And God's response is, I still have plans to bless you. I still have plans to prosper you. There's still a hope and a future that I want to give you. Verse 12, then you will call upon me, and you will go and pray to me, and what's God going to do when you pray? I will listen to you, and you will seek me and find me when you search for me, how? With all of your heart. Are you starting to see why Daniel prays so fervently in Daniel chapter 9? Because God literally told him to do it. So as Daniel's troubled, he doesn't understand what's going on, he's deeply troubled by what's taking place, what he does know is, in his search, God says, pray to me. I still plan to bless you, it's going to be 70 years, and when you pray to me with all of your heart, I'm going to hear you. And so Daniel acts upon what God has revealed in spite of these circumstances that he doesn't understand, these delays, these difficulties, and so forth. He still chooses to believe what God has said. So for one, he really wants to understand what God is doing because it seems like that judgment got longer. So he's stressed about that and concerned about that. That's part of the passion of his prayer in Daniel 9. And that's a good enough reason to pray with all your guts. But God's also giving an invitation to swing for the fences. Call upon me with all of your heart and I'll hear you. Yes, you've been unfaithful. You've received the rightful judgment that I promised to give, but I still have plans for you. 
and even to prosper. And someone needs to hear that today. You're going through a hard patch, and God's telling us He's not done with us just yet. So he continues in verse 14. I will be found by you, says the Lord, and I will bring you back from your captivities. I will gather you from all the nations and from all the places where I've driven you, says the Lord. I will bring you to the place from which I caused you to be carried away captive. Multiple times he says, my promise hasn't changed. My promise hasn't changed. My promise hasn't changed. So imagine God rewards his diligent search. I'm stressed. I don't know what's going on. I don't know why God is taking me through the circumstance. And God literally rewards his diligent search in his stress to speak into that event. And you know what that tells me? It's not the time to abandon the things of God, right? Daniel didn't get less spiritual in the midst of his challenges and difficulties. And that's what we're tempted to do, isn't it? I'm so stressed. I'm so overwhelmed. Nothing's happening. It seems hopeless. So we stop praying because what's the point? We stop studying. We stop investigating because not really getting anywhere. But Daniel continued. He didn't get less spiritual in his disciplines during this time. He dug his heels in even further. And that's another lesson for us. When God doesn't seem to be working, you're not understanding what's going on, it's not a time to get less spiritually disciplined. It's a time to be even more spiritually disciplined. And But that's not the only place Daniel would have gone. But what I love is the fact that as Daniel was searching for information about the exile, what he finds is the promise of God's love for him and that he still has plans to help him. God rewards our search with precious jewels to keep us going. I love that so much. That's not the only place that Daniel would have gone to figure out what's going on. He also would have gone to 2 Chronicles chapter 6. 2 Chronicles chapter 6 is basically when King Solomon is dedicating the temple to the Lord. He's finished building the temple. He's dedicating it to the Lord, and he prays multiple things. Okay? He begins his prayer by acknowledging that God keeps his covenant with his people, and he shows them mercy when they walk before him with all their hearts. Then he goes into the fact that God kept his promises to his father David. This is speaking of Solomon. And he pleads with God to keep the other promises he's made in keeping David's lineage on the, on the throne. And we read this now. Go to verse 36. When they sin against you, when there's no, for there's no one who does not sin, and you become angry with them and deliver them to the enemy, and they take them captive to a land far or near. Does that sound familiar? Certainly. Yet when they come to themselves in that land where they're carried captive and repent and make supplication to you in the land of their captivity, this is very interesting when it says when they come to themselves. That language is somewhere in the New Testament. You know where that's found? The prodigal son. When you recognize that you're in this situation because of decisions that you have made and you come to yourself, you come to your senses, right? Same language is used in the prodigal son, which someone's borrowed, I'm sure, from this particular prayer in this topic. When they come to themselves and make supplication and repent and uh, to you in the land, the land of their captivity, saying, we have sinned, we have done wrong and committed wickedness, verse 38, and when they return to you with all their heart and with all their soul in the land of their captivity where they've been carried captive, and they pray towards the land which you gave to their fathers, the city which you have chosen, and toward the temple that I have built for your name. Well, wait a minute. In Daniel chapter 6, there's a decree that's passed because Daniel is faithful in every duty, and the only way his cohort can get him in trouble is by making keeping the law of God illegal. Could someone say that about you in your workplace? And so in this circumstance, they say, if anyone prays to anyone but you, O king, let them be thrown into a lion's den. 
And Daniel, as his custom was, goes up to his room, and what does he do? He prays, but what does it look like? He opens his windows towards, towards where the temple used to be in Jerusalem. And he prays three times a day. And he did this throughout the entire 70 years of exile. Why did he do it? Because of this promise in 2 Chronicles chapter 6. When Solomon prayed that this would happen, when this does happen, that God would hear them in those moments. So this guy's clinging to God's promises, even when everything that his eyes see don't look very promising. They don't look very encouraging. So when they prayed towards this place, uh, which I've built for your name, now verse 39, then hear from heaven your dwelling place, their prayer and their supplications, and maintain their cause and forgive your people who've sinned against you. And verse 40, now my God, I pray, let your eyes be open and let your ears be attentive to the prayer made in this place. Now, therefore, arise, O Lord God, to your resting place, you and the ark of your strength. Let your priest, O Lord God, be clothed with salvation and let your goodness rejoice, let your saints rejoice in goodness. O Lord God, do not turn away your face from your anointed. Remember the mercies of your servant, David. So this similar promise right, is given to Solomon, answered his prayer of dedication. God says, I've heard you, and I will honor that, right? When they're unfaithful and you pray towards the temple, I will hear them, which again shows us how tenaciously Daniel clung to the promises of his word, even in the midst of trials and death threats. Could have cost him his life to keep following this promise, but when you're following the promises of God, God always stands up for you, yeah, and we see that here in this situation. And you cling to those promises. Nothing would keep God, for, or that, nothing would keep Daniel from communing with and trusting in his God and in holding him to his word. And Moses did that, didn't he? Moses would hold God to his word when God would seem to do things that didn't seem to line up with what he thought was going to happen. And again, these are practical lessons for us living in the midst of times of prophetic significance. These are the lessons for you and for me. Now go back to Daniel 9. So here's kind of the inspiration behind why he prays as he prays in Daniel 9. Jeremiah 25, Jeremiah 29, 2 Chronicles 6. Okay? So, going back to verse 5. Uh, verse 4. And I prayed to the Lord God, Daniel 9, verse 4, and I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession and said, O Lord, great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant and mercy with those who love him and those who keep his commandments. He's quoting 2 Chronicles 6 here. We have sinned and committed iniquity. We have done wickedly and rebelled even by departing from your precepts and your judgments. And um, verse 6, Neither have we heeded your servants, the prophets. He's quoting Jeremiah 25. Who spoke in your name to our kings and our princes, to our fathers and all the people of the land. O Lord, righteousness belongs to you, but to us shame of face as it is this day. To the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and all Israel, those near and those far off, in all the countries to which you have driven them. Now he's quoting Deuteronomy 28. Because of the unfaithfulness which they have committed against you. Okay, now skip down to verse 13. As it is written in the law of the Lord of, of the law of Moses, all this disaster has come upon us, yet we have not made our prayer before the Lord our God that we might turn from our iniquities and understand your truth. I think this is very fascinating. He says, we've not made our prayer. We have not done the prayer. What prayer? The prayer they were encouraged to pray in Jeremiah chapter 29. To pray with all of your heart, with all of your mind. So I'm doing it right now. We haven't done our end of the deal, God, and I'll take responsibility for the whole nation, and we're coming to you now. I'm coming to you on our behalf. 
Therefore, the Lord brought this disaster in mind, verse 14, and brought it upon us because he's righteous, even though we have not obeyed his voice. And then verse 16, according to all your righteousness, I pray, let your anger and your fury be turned away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy mountain, because for our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people are a reproach to those around us. And then uh, listen to what he says in verse 17. Now, therefore, our God, hear the supplication of your servant and his supplications for the Lord's sake. Cause your face to shine on your sanctuary, which is desolate. Oh, my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations in the city which is called by your name. For we do not present our supplications because of our righteous deeds, but because of your great mercies. We don't deserve this, and we acknowledge that. But you've claimed to be a God of mercy. You claim to delight in mercy, and we're pleading that you would give us mercy. Verse 19, O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. He's quoting Second Chronicles 6. O Lord, listen and act. Do not delay for your own sake, my God, for your city and your people are called by your name. Isn't this amazing? He literally is claiming every promise he can find on what God has said about this situation, and he's clinging to it in spite of what he sees, in spite of what he's encountering. He's deeply discouraged, and we get there, don't we? Don't we have these moments where we're in waiting seasons, we don't know what God is doing, can't make sense of it, and our answer in those moments is not found in getting mad and picking up your toys and going home, it's in digging your heels in even deeper in your spiritual disciplines and clinging to what God has said in spite of what you see, and God honors that search. He honored Daniel's search, and he gave him those blessings to Jeremiah 29, 11, 12, and 13, and it happens again here, okay? So then we get to Daniel chapter 9, beginning of verse 20, and while I was speaking, praying and confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel and presenting my supplications before the Lord my God for the holy mountain of my God, yes, while I was speaking in prayer, and I love that he keeps making this point, like literally while that plea was in my mouth, God heard. As I was speaking, guys, not like I prayed and three weeks later God brought this miraculous answer to my prayer. He's making it super clear. While I was praying this thing, God did something. God acted on my behalf. Being caused to fly swiftly, Gabriel, whom I'd seen the vision at the beginning, being caused to fly swiftly, reached me about the time of the evening offering. And he informed me and talked with me and said, Oh, Daniel, I have now come forth to give you skill to do what? Understand. What was his biggest concern at the end of Daniel chapter 8? I don't understand. And no one around me understood. I'm here. Heaven cares about the distress you're going through right now and the things that you don't understand. That's what he's being told. And the same is true for you today, guys. Whatever it is that's overwhelming you that you can't make sense of, heaven is deeply concerned with the distress you're going through in this moment. Heaven hears that prayer. They're responding even as you pray. Oh, Daniel, I've come forth to give you skill to understand. At the beginning of your supplications, the command went out. Listen to this. So it's not even like I prayed really hard and then God did something. Literally, as soon as Daniel prepared his heart to pray, heaven was already moving. Heaven was already responding to his circumstance. The very beginning of your request, the command went out, and I've come to tell you. And what does he say next? For you are greatly beloved. Can you imagine? I wish this, I remember I used to live next door to 3ABN and C.A. Murray, who used to be at 3ABN, now he's with Stephen Bohr, but C.A. Murray was preaching in the book of Daniel, and he just had a moment uh, in front of everyone as he's filming this, this program called Daniel All Access or something like that. He just had a moment in the midst of this presentation he's giving that there are moments when we get overwhelmed 
And it would do us a lot of good if God would just send an angel to let me know that I'm loved. You ever been there? Like I, I would just love to receive that in my time of grief and need and stress and being overwhelmed. And God knows that that's what Daniel needs. So he tells him that he's greatly beloved. Therefore, consider the matter and understand the vision. Then he goes into the 70-week prayer or the 70-week prophecy. We're not really going to go into that. That's not really the purpose of the study for today, um, though it's an amazing study. I almost did that last night, but I, I made the decision to do something else. Um, if you want it, it's on Audioverse. It's called A God Who's Always on Time, where I go through the whole 70-week thing. So it's in there if you want to see it later. But God is so, so eager to answer our prayers. That's a principle we can draw from this story. He flies swiftly to help him understand, and as soon as you started, I was here. Then he tells him in verse 23, he's greatly beloved. So when we're wrestling for prayer, for answers to our prayers, we can be prone to doubt that reality, can't we? When you're in seasons of waiting, are we prone to wonder, does God even really love me or does God even really care? And there's a statement about um, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus in Desire of Ages where there's this, this kind of tension because when Jesus gets word in John chapter 11 that Lazarus is sick, it says, now Jesus, lo- Jesus loved Mary and Martha and her brother Lazarus. And then you would assume the next thing the text is going to say is, so he went directly to where they were. But that's not what the text says. It says he loved them, and then it says he stayed two more days where he was. And there's tension there, isn't there? Jesus loved them. Jesus made them wait. Ellen White has this amazing statement in response to that. She says he loved them no less because he tarried. Jesus loves you no less because you're waiting. Some of us need to hear that today. You're not waiting because Jesus doesn't love you. Some of us are waiting right now because Jesus loves us and he has something better for us than we're asking for. Who knows what the story may be, but it's not a lack of love. And so so the angel speaks into that space that Daniel could be tempted to believe while he's waiting. Daniel, you are greatly beloved. Heaven sent me to tell you that. And so... He, when he's wrestling for the answers, he gets that. So then he shines light on the vision of Daniel 8 with another vision, as far as the 2300 days, involving time that gives a picture about what the longer vision is about. So the 70 weeks gives you a snapshot in some form or fashion in a microcosm of what the 2300 days is all about, right? That there's a time of probation or dealing of judgment for the people of God to be prepared for a cutting off period. Then it closes in verses 25 to 27 that the Messiah being rejected will lead to destruction, desolation, and displacement for the nation of Israel, which eventually happens in A.D. 70. Okay? So this 70-week prophecy ends right in A.D. 34, but there's more that happens even after that. Like The full consummation of that, the full fruit of that, is the destruction of Jerusalem in A.D. 70. And it's really interesting. There's three 70s in this whole scenario. There's AD 70, the destruction of Jerusalem. There's 70 years in exile in Babylon, and there's a 70-week prophecy. And they're all surrounding the same story, that when we reject the Messiah, desolation comes. They're all talking about the same type of scenario. It's very interesting. But... um, So when they reject the Lord's messengers, it leads to destruction, desolation, displacement. That's what happened and why they went to Babylon. That's what's going to happen with the nation of Israel in A.D. 34. And the full consummation of it is in A.D. 70, whenever the city is destroyed by by Rome. Now, while we don't have time to go into the 70-week prophecy, it is worth noting that God puts His own life on the line to keep covenant with His people. 
Because Daniel's saying, keep covenant with your people. Keep covenant with your people. You're the covenant-keeping God. And God's response to that fervent prayer in Daniel 9 is literally to tell him, you have no idea how faithful I am to my covenant. Let me just show you. I'm willing to be cut off to keep covenant with my people. I'm that faithful. And it's amazing. It reminds me of the vision in Genesis chapter 15. God shows up to Abraham and says, Abraham, I'm your exceedingly great reward. I'm what you've been looking for. And based upon what we read in Romans 4, you think Abraham would say amen. But in Genesis, the way that it reads is, uh, no, you're not. You promised me kids, and I've got no kids. Eliezer, a servant in my house, is going to be my heir. And God doesn't beat him up for it. He doesn't shame him for it. He says, let's go for a walk, Abraham. Look at those stars. If you could number them, so will be your disciples. So will be your descendants. My promise to you has not changed, even though you're waiting and you're hurting while you wait. My promise is still the same. And then God does something. He tells Abraham to sever these animals and separate them. And this is covenantal language in the Far East. He separates the, the animals. And what people would do is the two parties would walk in between these two animals, basically making a pact that so let what was, what was done to these animals be done to me if I don't keep my covenant to you. That's what they would do in covenantal language in that time. God does that with Abraham, except he's the only one that passes through the animals. A flaming torch passes through in this vision that Abraham's given. It's this kind of spooky vision. And after God passes through there, he tells Abraham of the eventual captivity of his descendants, but that they will be released, they'll plunder the captors, and so forth. But this is what God is literally telling Abraham. So let what was done to these animals be done to me if I don't keep my promise to you. And that's exactly what does happen. He literally has to be torn to keep covenant to Abraham. When Jesus comes, he's torn for us, we're told. Paul alludes to the tearing of the veil in, uh, I think it's in Corinthians, but he alludes to the idea of the tearing of the veil that happened when Jesus died to the tearing of Jesus' flesh. The whole Godhead was torn asunder to keep covenant with his people. So you've got the assurance today that God does keep covenant to his people. You better believe it. That's part of the answer of Daniel 9. That's what he's telling him. Keep your covenant, keep your covenant. I'll show you how faithful I am to my covenant. I will be torn to do so. I'm not going to fail you, Daniel. And he didn't fail Abraham either. So, um, I think this is amazing, that while the news is encouraging to Daniel that a Messiah is coming to truly heal and forgive us, it's going to cost him everything. The Messiah will be cut off, but not for himself. Then we get to Daniel chapter 10. Daniel is still under duress for this time prophecy in chapter 8. Years have gone by, he still doesn't have closure. And we can have that in our own lives, can't we? God says he's going to do something, and we wonder when he's finally going to come through. Daniel's still wrestling with this. So he fasts for three weeks, okay? And he doesn't eat anything pleasant, it says. No entertainment or things are brought before him. He doesn't eat anything pleasant. He's simply, for three straight weeks, he is fasting. Um, let me see if I can find this here. Yeah, verse 2. In those days, I was mourning for three full weeks. I ate no pleasant food, no meat or wine came into my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all till the three whole weeks were fulfilled. This is, again, a very fascinating point that Daniel, in the midst of wrestling with what he doesn't understand, doesn't get less spiritual. He doesn't slack on his spiritual disciplines. He's digging even deeper. For three weeks, he's fasting. He's removing things. And he's ba this is what's called importunate prayer. I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. I'm not going to leave you alone until you help me understand what's going on here and until you keep your promise to me. 
That's what Daniel's doing here, and this is what sees him through. But listen to the impact that that has as we keep reading through the narrative. And so he ends up having the encounter with Jesus Christ himself in verses like 4 to 9, uh, and it humbles him, and he has no strength left as a result of it. It says that twice in those verses. Then in verse 10, after he passes out from his encounter, look at what happens. Suddenly a hand touched me, which made me tremble on my knees and on the palms of my hands. Maybe you've been there. God gives you some nugget of encouragement, but doesn't really make all the pain go away. Right? You're more mobile and functional maybe than you were at the beginning of the situation, but you still aren't fully feeling like yourself. Well, that's where Daniel is at this stage in verse 10. And for some of us, it may take multiple encounters of God's encouragement and blessings to really get us in a proper footing. But then in verse 11, listen to this. And he said to me, O Daniel, what does he say? Man greatly beloved. Again, he's reminded of heaven's love and acceptance of him. And look at what that does for him. Understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright, for I've been sent to you. And while he was speaking this word to me, I stood trembling. So what is it that caused Daniel to be able to stand? And understanding that he was loved. Do you know what it is that's going to cause people to be able to stand in the midst of the judgment that's to come? We read it in 1 John 4 this morning. To know and believe the love that God has for you. And yet that's generally not the type of conversation that we have. It's about everything else. Not affirming ourselves in the love that God has for us, but eat right, dress right, do right, pray right, live right. And we should do all those things by God's grace. Right? It's a blessing to do them. But the only thing that's really going to give people the ability to stand in the crisis that's to come is an understanding that they are loved. That's what made Daniel stand in the midst of his crisis, and that's the only thing that can make you stand in the midst of your crisis which means the message of God's love should be packaged in all of our prophetic presentations. So, um, you're greatly beloved and stand upright. Okay, verse 12. Then he said to me, Do not fear, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and to humble yourself before God, your words were heard. Again, God doesn't just hear your prayer when you say amen. As soon as your heart is stirred to pray, all of heaven is interested. Amen? All of heaven is interested. He tells them that a second time. And so I've come, and listen to this, I've come because of your words. Literally, heaven is moving in response to Daniel's prayers. And this is why it's so important to not stop our spiritual disciplines when we're discouraged, when we're wrestling with doubt and heartbreak and disappointment and delay. Because those very prayers that you're not praying may be the very prayers that God needs to do what He's longing to do. Are you understanding? God doesn't just love you. God doesn't just like you. God doesn't just believe in you. God needs you in the midst of this controversy. And some of us have taken ourselves off the battle line because it got too hard. And He's asking you to come back, just like Elijah. What are you doing here? Go back to the battle lines. I still have a work for you. I need you in this work. So I came because of your words, he says. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me for how many days? 21 days. Hey, how long is three weeks? Literally, this battle that Daniel is praying through, and this is the other thing. Daniel has no idea that there are spiritual battles being fought right now. Daniel's under the impression that nothing's happening as he prays, because he sees nothing, and yet he keeps praying. 
And what he's told is, God is working for you even when you didn't see it. And this is important for you and I because we think, man, I'm praying, I'm fasting, I'm bringing all these things before the Lord, and nothing's happening. So what's the point? I'm just going to quit. And what we don't realize is God is fighting battles for you in those moments that you know nothing about. He's duking it out with the devil, and you have no idea. And you have the audacity to say that God doesn't care, and God doesn't listen to me, and he's not doing anything. Literally, he is fighting battles for you that you know nothing about. And God gives us that picture. Daniel didn't get the benefit of that picture while he's suffering. But you can have the benefit of that picture while you're suffering. You have the book of Job. You can see the spiritual battles and the great controversy in Daniel's life in Daniel 10. Daniel didn't have that privilege, and neither did Job. But we can, guys. And it's for a reason. So then he says, So he withstood me twenty-one days, and behold, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I had been left alone there with the king of Persia, but now I've come to do what? To help you understand, to make you understand what will happen to your people in the latter days, for the vision refers to many days yet to come. I think this is so, so amazing. So he says that he's fighting and warring with the king of Persia. If you read Ezra and Nehemiah, you recognize there's a battle going back and forth. There's a decree and restore and build Jerusalem, so they start the process of going there. But then there's another king who doesn't know Joseph, right? A similar situation. They don't know what's going on. And the people in the land complain to the king and say, whoa, 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 these people are troublemakers. Do you know that they're building a temple and they're going to cause all kinds of problems? Oh, well, then tell them to stop. So then they stop building the temple. And then they send report back to the king and say, whoa, 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 check your record books. Like, this is something that's totally kosher. We have approval to do this. He searches the books. He realizes they can do this. This back and forth is all going on during this time period, guys. This whole scenario of Ezra and Nehemiah, this back and forth. And the thing is, the whole plan of salvation is at stake here. Because the 70-week prophecy about the coming of the Messiah, when he'll be baptized, when he'll die, when the gospel will go to the Gentiles, all centers on the decree to restore and build Jerusalem. That's when this whole process begins. And Satan is warring against God's plan of redemption in this moment. And Daniel's prayers are ensuring that God will prevail in this battle in ways that God could not have done things had he not prayed. You understanding? There's tremendous power in holding God to His promises and praying, and God may be making big power moves in the great controversy in response to your prayers. And we had no idea this entire time. So this gives us some great insight into the great controversy at large, and also in our prayer lives. When we pray and pray and pray and wonder why things aren't coming to pass, especially when we're praying for God to do what He said He would do, It's not because heaven isn't interested or that God has lied to us. There are other forces at play, and He needs us to persevere in prayer and claiming His promises. So when you feel like, God, why aren't you hearing me? Why aren't you doing anything? He's fighting battles that you know nothing about. And keep praying. That's the point. Yeah? So Norm McNulty, he um, has a book, a commentary in the book of Daniel. He says this on this section. He says, the fact that Christ appeared in this struggle shows how much resistance the devil put into this battle. The resistance was so strong that even Gabriel could not overcome it. Only the power of Christ turned the mind of Cyrus. And once he arrived, the battle ended. He told us that all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth, Matthew 28, 18. Although the devil may have power, he does not have power to resist Christ. Amen? 
who obviously knew how important Cyrus's role was in helping the 70 weeks and the 2300 days to begin. The entire plan of salvation was at stake. Because of Daniel's faithfulness and unrelenting prayer, Christ answered Daniel's prayer and won the battle against the devil so that Cyrus would cooperate with God's plan. Ellen White continues uh, on a comment he was quoting from earlier. We didn't read from that quote, but anyway, Ellen White talks about this. Before the contest closed, Christ himself came to Gabriel's help, and all that heaven could do on behalf of God's people was done. The victory was finally gained, and the forces of the enemy were held in check all the days of Cyrus, who reigned for seven years, and all the days of his son Cambyses, who reigned seven years and a half. Norm picks up again. Once the victory had been gained, Gabriel let Daniel know what happened behind the scenes during the three weeks while he prayed. Daniel had no idea while he's praying, but God in his great mercy shows him on the other side of it, hey, I was fighting and winning battles for you that you knew nothing about. Daniel's praying because he doesn't understand about the prophecy of Daniel 8. But that prayer of fervency for God to keep his promises is what ensures that Christ prevailed in Daniel 9 and in Daniel 10 specifically. Which I think is so amazing. This even shows us the great controversy between good and evil. God's saints like Daniel can play a key role in drawing in the power of Christ to turn the tide to victory. And so... Um, again in verse 14 of Daniel 10, he says, Now I have come to help you understand what will happen to your people in the latter days, for the vision refers to many days yet to come. Um, that's the vision of the 1260 and a lot of that circumstance. But the Mara, the word associated with the 2300 days, is used again in verse 16. And he says this, And suddenly one having the likeness of the sons of men touched my lips, and I opened my mouth and spoke, saying to him, who stood before me, um, well, his fate, he falls on the ground again, and then he's in verse 6, he's touched again, I open my mouth, my Lord, because of the vision, my sorrows have overwhelmed me, and I've retained no strength. Okay, so that vision, the 2300 days, is why he's so stressed in verse 16. Verse 17, for how can this servant of my Lord talk with you, my Lord? As for me, again, no strength remains in me now, nor is there any breath left in me. This guy is taxed beyond measure by what's going on in his life. But then look at what happens in verse 18. Then again, the one having the likeness of the Son of Man touched me and strengthened me. And what does he say to him for a third time? O man, greatly beloved, fear not. Peace be to you, be strong, yes, be strong. So when he spoke to me, I was strengthened and said, let my Lord speak, for you have strengthened me. Again, what's going to strengthen God's people in the midst of trials that will cripple them and challenge them is this understanding that they are loved, that they are greatly beloved, that all of heaven is interested in their case. This is our secret to victory, guys, because we're going to go through those moments some of us are going through them right now, and this is just the training ground for the big thing that's coming later. We think this is bad, and we're not downplaying. It could be very bad what you're going through, but what's to come is even more difficult, and what is going to keep God's people in that moment is knowing that they are loved and that heaven is fighting for them, heaven is advocating for them, and that heaven is deeply interested with the distress that they're going through. That's the promise we're given. So in verse 20, then he said, Do you know why I've come to you? And now I must return to fight with the prince of Persia. And when I've gone forth, indeed, the prince of Greece will come. But I will tell you what is noted in the scripture of truth. No one upholds me against these except Michael, your prince. 
So Daniel doesn't understand why his prayers were being hindered because a spiritual war was going on, but God is fighting for him. So then we're told this. Oh man, I forgot to skip these slides, but there's nothing on them really. All right, great controversy. Listen to this, page 621. The season of distress and anguish before us will require a faith. Sorry, my. There we go. The season of distress and anguish before us will require a faith that can endure weariness, delay, and hunger. A faith that will not faint, though severely tried. The period of probation is granted to all to prepare for that time. Jacob prevailed because he was persevering and determined. His victory is an evidence of the power of what type of prayer? Importunate prayer. I'm not letting you go until you bless me. I'm not leaving until I have the assurance that you have heard and you're going to do something. All who will lay hold of God's promises as Jacob did and be as earnest and persevering as he was will succeed as he succeeded. Those who are unwilling to deny self, to agonize before God, to pray long and earnestly for his blessing will not obtain it. Wrestling with God, how few know what it is. How few have ever had their souls drawn out after God with intensity of desire until every power is on the stretch. When waves of despair, which no language can express, sweep over the suppliant, how few cling with unyielding faith to the promises of God. Ellen White was given this vision, and in this vision, her attending angel, she asked the attending angel, she said, how come there's no more faith in Israel? And the response the attending angel gave her was, you let go of the hand of the Lord too soon. Many of us are giving up before God does what he said that he would do. Because he didn't act on our timelines. This is the whole Ishmael situation. God did not deliver in the timeline that Abraham and Sarah thought he should deliver, so they do their own thing. And did that cause them blessings or curses? Yeah, ISIS. Right? We're still dealing with a multi-generational holy war because of that decision to not trust God in the midst of the promises that He has made. But the good news is God is faithful even when we are not. Amen? Amen. And that He cannot deny Himself. Though we may be unfaithful, He is faithful for He cannot deny Himself. So for some of us, all we have is the promise. And what we're waiting on isn't happening and we feel stuck. But God is saying, I've got this. I've carried you this far. I'm going to take care of these circumstances. But I tell you what, for some of us, reality doesn't look like that. God may tell you to go forward, and you may get mowed down in doing so. And you wonder, why would you tell me to do that if I'm just going to be disappointed and hurt? And we have to cling to what God said in those moments and keep going. Okay, Because remember, if the enemy can't deceive you, he'll discourage you. Desire of ages, listen to this. Every promise in God's word is ours. How many of them? All of them. By every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God are we to live. When assailed by temptation, look not to circumstances or to the weakness of self, but to the power of the word. All its strength is yours. Thy word, says the psalmist, have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. By the word of thy lips I have kept me from the paths of the destroyer. Listen to this. Ellen White picks up on the commentary on what we talked about earlier uh, with this whole situation of the nation of Israel, the 70 weeks and all that. She says, The Israelites had no real excuse for leaving their work on the temple. So they had stopped trying to rebuild the temple and they were building houses for themselves, is what she's talking about. Ezra and Nehemiah during that timeline when Daniel's praying and wrestling with God, the decrees going forth to restore and build Jerusalem, all of that. This, this timeline. The time when the most serious objections were raised was the time for them to persevere in building. 
So the times when you're most tempted to quit are the times when you need to dig in your heels. Hey, did Daniel do that? And did God favor him for it? And did the great controversy advance because he persevered? Yes. They did not possess the faith that is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Oh, sorry. But they were actuated by a selfish dislike to encounter danger by arousing the opposition of their enemies. We're having a conversation at lunch today as being people pleasers. And we don't really want to make people upset. There are certain things that we don't do in those moments. But because of this, right, it it was a selfish dislike to encounter danger that kept them from building God's house. Because it was going to be hard to do so, right? They've got a trowel in one hand and a sword in the other hand. It's difficult, right? It's challenging. And so they, they didn't want difficulty. They did not possess the faith that's the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. They hesitated to move forward by faith in the opening providence of God because they could not see the end from the beginning. So just because you can't see what God is doing doesn't mean that God isn't working. And we saw that in Daniel's story, right? God's working for us, guys. He's fighting battles for you that you know nothing about, and yet we have the audacity to say that God's not doing anything and God doesn't care about what I'm going through? This is why Daniel's story is here, to peel the veil back and help us recognize, no, 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 slow down. Just because you don't see God doing something doesn't mean that God is not doing something. And when difficulties arose, they were easily turned from the work. It got hard, so they quit. You ever been there? God's made promises to you. And you walked in those promises for a while, but it just got to a point that you said, I can't do this anymore. This is just too hard. This is just too difficult. And you quit. That was them. Listen to what she says. This history will be repeated. There will be religious failures because men do not have faith. When they they look at the things that are seen, impossibilities appear. But God can lead them step by step in the course that He desires them to take. His work will advance only as His servants move forward by faith. While while they may be called upon to pass through trying times, yet they should ever remember that they are contending with a weakened, beaten foe. Amen? God's people will finally triumph over every power of darkness but we can't let go of the hand of the Lord too soon. There's a lot of practical lessons in Daniel 8, 9, and 10, aren't there? I'm sure there's many more than we talked about this afternoon, but has this been helpful for you guys? God does hear when you're praying. In fact, as soon as you open your heart to pray, heaven is already working in your behalf. And just because it feels like nothing's happening from what you can see, that doesn't mean that God is not doing something for you. In fact, in those very moments, God is fighting and winning battles that you know nothing about. And our answer is not going to be found in slacking and running away from spiritual disciplines and our hardships. It's in digging our heels in and persevering and moving forward in faith that God will keep and provide for His people. All these principles are found here. And lastly, and I think most importantly, the only reason why people will be found faithful and that they will stand in the midst of the coming crisis is by first having an understanding that they are greatly beloved which means that our prophetic message has to have this message laced throughout it. Not just things are coming, it's bad, get ready, get ready, get ready. Right? And there, there's a sense that we need to be preparing ourselves. Absolutely, I'm not downplaying that. 
But you, mustering up and pulling yourself up by your bootstraps and white-knuckling and pushing harder is not the same thing that we're talking about here. Are you understanding? It's a faith that works by love that's approving to God, that's approved by God and acceptable to God. Right? So we encounter God's goodness for us, which awakens within our hearts a gratitude and a thankfulness that leads us to obey, to do the things that He'd ask for us to do, to go where He's leading. You understand the difference? And I, I have to tell you today that there are many of our people in this very moment who do not understand and believe that they are loved. And they're hurting right now. Our own people, our own precious movement. 3ABN, one of the largest television stations in our denomination, their pastoral department is getting alarming amount of phone calls from Seventh-day Adventist adults and pastors who have no assurance of salvation. That's a true story. And we're telling people that Jesus is coming soon. Well, how can Jesus come soon if the very people he's called to preach the gospel to the world don't actually believe the gospel is true? Are you understanding? Maybe this is one of the reasons why we're still here. We have not fully known and believed the love that God has for us, so we're not ready for the crisis to come, and God in His great mercy is waiting. This most precious message of God's love for this world has to encapsulate and overwhelm and saturate every single message that we are preaching to this world. If that's not the way that we're doing it, it's a disservice. And I believe that our best days are ahead of us, beloved. I fully believe that. That Christ and His righteousness will be preached in every aspect of the Adventist message. It will make sense to the world, and they will respond in great numbers. I fully believe that. And there will be a massive revival in this movement. I'm not going anywhere. But we cannot live as the Egyptians lived and not own our losses. We have to acknowledge the fact that there's a role that we play on why we're still here. And until we acknowledge that, as Daniel acknowledged that, and repent, we have sinned, O oh God. Not those guys who, you know, don't have the same lifestyle that I live. We have sinned. We have not done rightly. We have been unfaithful. But God, you are faithful. And you promise that if we come to you and pray with all of our hearts, you will hear us. So here we are. We're praying. We're believing. God help us. Do you think he'd hear that prayer? You better believe it. And if we do that, I think we're going home, guys. Amen? God in heaven, you know the hearts in this room today. Um, you know those who will hear this message later. But many of us have been sacked by difficulties and trials and delay. And has gotten the best of us. God, we're so sorry. We have not believed the things about us that you believe. Some of us have completely forsaken the promises of God because it just hurt to keep waiting. And Lord, I'm praying that you would fight for your discouraged saints today, that you would reach out and that you would touch us as you did Daniel, and that you would remind us that we are greatly beloved. Touch us, O oh God, I pray. Give us a willingness to examine our own hearts as we talked about this morning. Give us a willingness to go there, to face these things, to process them, to release them to you. And Lord, we want you to cleanse this temple today, to set us free. And we embrace what we talked about last night, 
that you are fighting for us and we need to stop disqualifying ourselves from your grace. Forgive us, Lord, for not believing. Help our unbelief, we pray. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.